Blog Talk Radio. It's the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering us to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speedway. for a particular show. People ask me all the time, where do you get the ideas for your show? And the answer is I get them from lots of places, including current affairs. I actually hadn't planned to do this show until I uh, noticed, and we all noticed, the terrible tornado that hit Moore, Oklahoma, very recently. And it just touched me, as I know it touched a lot of people, mobilized many, many of us to give. And uh, we gave in prayer, we gave in our time, we gave in uh, our money, and we continue to do so, which is absolutely the right thing to do, I think. And that prompted a question that, in my mind, I know I would be asking if I were in that situation, which is, you know, the topic of the show. Sometimes when you're going through a difficult time and you feel like you've done all the right things, it is hard to believe that God loves you when your life feels like it's either in limbo or it is just a mess. In those times, you might be asking, doesn't God love me? Where is God? Why isn't he talking to me? Does he even exist? What am I supposed to do now? Recently we saw not just one, but several devastating natural disasters. And they seem to be increasing in number and violence every single year, right? You might have been one of those people who felt like you were, you know, in the midst of trying to get your life together, and maybe one of these happened to you. In less than a shocking 45 minutes, your home, your livelihood, your whole town, your life was quite literally flattened, and all that was left was rubble. As if all those years you had worked and saved and accumulated and carefully set up this life you had meant absolutely Nothing at all. Like it was never even there. You can't think of any crime, any horrible thing, any sin you could have possibly committed that was great enough to deserve this. And in fact, you might be thinking, well, heck, if I accumulate all the wrong I've done in my life, I still can't honestly believe it would amount to deserving this. So you might be wondering then, doesn't God love me anymore? Where was he when this was coming? He obviously knew it was going to happen since he knows everything. How could a 
loving God let this happen? And if you were watching all of the footage that we saw on television of all of these natural disasters, you might be wondering the same thing too. I think it's natural to wonder, you know, where is God and how come he's not doing something about this? And if he loves us so much, why is there so much suffering that doesn't seem to make any sense at all? Today, we're going to explore some examples of people who went through difficult times and how they dealt with it. Actually, you know, I I think when I thought about it, I was going to go through several, but then I ended up with one in particular that I thought, ooh, this is really great. It is my hope that somewhere in here you will find the inspiration to keep going and lean on your faith, even if something didn't happen to you, because what we know is that for the people who are impacted, for every one person, it's like a it's like a ripple effect, right, where there are others who are impacted in various ways, And, for example, I remember hearing a number, I forget what the statistic was, but it was something like for every single person who died in 9-11, there was, you know, times that number of people who suffered post-traumatic stress syndrome because of that event. So it's not just something horrible that happens to the people who are directly impacted. It impacts all of us, doesn't it? So to start with, let's talk about the stuff that was the inspiration for this show. And ironically, you know, I uh, planned last week's show, which was called God Every Day. And it was about, you know, how do you infuse God in every day of your life? What does that even look like? Um, what, What do you do to have a personal relationship with God? If you missed it, I encourage you to visit thespeedwayshow.com or speedway.com and check it out. You can also find it on the podcast of the same name in iTunes. So here comes God every day. La, 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 la. Have a relationship with God. It's so lovely. And then, you know, here comes this disaster in Oklahoma, and I'm thinking, oh, that's horrible. And um, that's not all on May the 23rd, so this is just all in May. So there was more Oklahoma. On May the 23rd of this year, a coal mine flood in in the Shandong province of China killed nine people. On May 25th, five mountaineers were killed in an avalanche while returning from the peak of Mount Kanchenjunga. In Nepal, I had to work on that one just to get it, try and get it right, and I hope I got it right. On May 24th, while it didn't kill anyone, did you know that there was a tornado in South Cotabato in the Philippines that affected 33 families? On May 24th, Russia's capital, Moscow, experienced its first tremor from an earthquake in 35 years. And in more Oklahoma, by the way, authorities estimated that as many as 13,000 homes were damaged or destroyed. 13 lives just flattened. That doesn't even count the businesses. And 33,000 people were affected. An especially traumatic toll for a city that had already 
suffered three other tornadoes since 1998. You might have heard this area referred to as Tornado Alley. Well, that's why. And like I said, all of these were just in the month of May. So what's up with all these natural disasters anyway? I always say, you know, you, you have heard me say, if you followed the show, that I believe very strongly that you should, in order to carry yourself through life with all of the difficulties that befall us, you should absolutely have a guide, a guidepost, a some sort of, you know, very standard pole star that you use to give yourself a way of governing your life. And my my personal view is that the best thing to use is what I like to call the life manual. And um, my life manual just happens to be the Bible. So here I go to my life manual for answers to these kinds of deep questions. And let me hasten to say, I'm not a pastor, but uh, I do believe that we are each called to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, which means I need to understand and sort these things out for myself, just like you are responsible for understanding this stuff for yourself and trying to make sense of it. When we go to church or you go to a Bible study or you go to your temple or you talk to other lovers of God, it is to enrich and deepen our own understanding and to receive and share love with others. But at the end of the day, I'm accountable for my own actions and I can't blame my imam, my pastor, my you know rabbi if he got it wrong or if she got it wrong. If I failed to read and try to understand for myself what is my responsibility to myself and others in this life. So what I'm saying is don't even take my word for it. I've already said I'm not a preacher. So I, I'm not a bib I'm not even a biblical scholar of any kind. Have never set foot in a seminary, so I'm not here to preach to you. And uh, I'm not even remotely saying that my interpretation of my life manual is right. But I'm just picking up on items that appear to me to provide answers to my questions and sharing them with you as a basis for you to begin your own quest for understanding. You might have heard me also say on this show at various times that the Speedway Show is an idea exchange. And uh, that's because I don't claim to stand in authority of you know too many things. I mean, I've lived life quite a bit and I've worked and, and, and watched other people's lives and lived vicariously through, you know, my friends, my family members and others, as most of us have, so I have some ideas, but um, the goal is to exchange ideas. So I look in my life manual and I see that the very first thing that I am told in the book of Genesis is that in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And I think to myself, well, that's fine, fair enough. So how does that relate to the natural disasters we see today? I have read that some biblical scholars interpret that first statement about God creating the heavens and the earth to mean, you know, something even broader than just the words on the page. 
it basically means that God created the entire universe and all of the laws of nature. And that's important. Now, when he did that, what did that mean? Because most natural disasters are a result of these laws at work, right? Hurricanes, tornadoes, typhoons, they are the result of divergent weather patterns colliding in one way or another. Earthquakes happen when the Earth's plates shift. Uh, A tsunami essentially is caused by an underwater earthquake. So here we have God creating the universe, the heavens, the earth, the laws of nature. But then there's something even more interesting. There are many scientists who will tell you that the cause of the increasing natural disasters is global warming. And by the way, you might be thinking, okay, so you just switched from the life manual to science. How does that work? You know, here's my fundamental view of science. There are many people who seem to think that the love for God and the existence of God himself is at complete odds with science. So you either believe in science or you believe in God, but not both. I don't think that's true at all. I think it's a little bit like saying, I drive a car, and my car was manufactured by Toyota. Well, the fact that I can take my car to a mechanic who knows and can explain to me in intricate detail how that car works doesn't change the fact that it was essentially created by Toyota, the manufacturer. So just because scientists, are able to explain how the universe works, how the human body works, doesn't change the fact that the human body, the universe, everything in it was created by God. And, um, you know, since we have, as human beings, have not mastered the power to create, we can explain a whole lot of stuff. But uh, and, and, And we can fiddle around with a whole lot of science and we can come up with lots and lots of new and interesting genetic things. Um, we have yet to create out of whole cloth uh, a single separate species that was just, you know, poof, out of the air that did not come from things that God already created before that. So ergo, my view that actually science and God are completely well aligned um, in most cases. But anyway, debate for another show. According to the National Geographic, the only way to explain the pattern of global warming is to include the effect of greenhouse gases, which are emitted by, guess who? Human beings. What do human beings have to do with natural disasters if God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it? Well, back to Genesis I go. And I see then that actually it also says further into Genesis. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. To further make the point, we see that when God actually creates man and woman, he blesses them and he says to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion 
over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In other words, in my view, after God created the heavens and the earth, he gave us, human beings, the right and the responsibility to exercise dominion over it. And look what we've done. (laughs) So back to your question. Does God love me? You can tell by the introductory song, which, by the way, is by a group called Go Fish, and is called Jesus Loves Me. You can tell by that introductory song that my answer to you is an unequivocal yes. Yes, God absolutely loves you. And there is absolutely no question about it. God loves you. Now, your next protest might be, well, if that were true, why is it that even though I did everything right, I still lost everything? This tornado took everything for many, many people, including the lives of their loved ones and children. The official numbers were that 24 people died in that tornado, including nine children. Nine children. If you are the parent of one of those children and any of those people who lost friends and family members in that tornado, my heart goes out to you. I have lost a parent, and I know that there is nothing like it. And similarly, my heart goes out to everybody who has been the victim of a natural disaster because I, you know, I haven't been through one myself, but as I come home every day and look at my house and look forward to being in my house, which, you know, for me is just like my cocoon, I can't even imagine looking at just a pile of rubble and thinking this should be, this used to be everything that I held dear. The pictures of my children, my Apple gadgets, My, you know, everything I own, my clothes, my my stuff is all a pile of rubble. I cannot even begin to imagine what that has to feel like. And um, so I, I don't pretend to claim that I understand. So I pray for comfort and love for all of your families if you have had to go through this horrible, horrible thing. And to the natural question, doesn't God love me? It is still a resounding, yes, he does. Suffering does not mean an absence of God's love. How do I know? Let us look at some of you know, let's look at one icon in particular, a giant of triumph from my life manual. Many people hold Jacob, not Jacob, Job, up as a poster child for faith and devotion to God even after he lost everything. For those of you who are not familiar with this interesting man, Job was a very, very wealthy man. And he had, you know, a ton of kids and he had livestock, he had, you know, gorgeous wife, and I mean, he was just living the life. He had land, he had cattle, he had sheep. I mean, this dude was a wealthy, wealthy man. And 
in the space of, we're not exactly sure, but it seems like it was a very short time, he lost everything, you know, and it, and it was bad. Like, so, you know, one guy comes and he says, oh, this horrible thing has happened, you know, your your sheep have all, you know, something happened to the sheep and they all died. And no sooner than he has finished, somebody comes running along and says, oh, this terrible thing has happened, something happened to your cattle, oh, your cattle are gone. And, and no sooner does he finish that, and I'm not going in order because I, had, I, hadn't, I haven't brushed up on this part of the story, but, you know, a, a series of calamities before him, one after the other after the other. Even his children, ah, oh, your kids were all dining together and they were celebrating whatever they were celebrating and, you know, the ceiling fell in and they all got killed. I mean, it was just horrible stuff like that. And it was just, and he is just, you know, he tears his clothes, he sits down in a pile of ashes and in sackcloth and he just laments. <laughs> And uh, so that is where you, we kind of pick up with the life of Job. And, um, you know, lots of people talk about, you know, every pastor I've ever heard talks about Job as, oh, my goodness, a poster child for faith and devotion to God, even after all these horrible things happened to him. What I haven't heard discussed, and, and frankly what I found even more interesting, was how he handled all of those horrible things that happened to him. And uh, while it is true that, you know, yeah, yeah, he's supposed to child for, you know, devotion to God and all, and it's great, it's also clear that Job struggled mightily with his situation. And, um, you know, he, he, he starts, and it's not the beginning of, of the story, but one of the things that he says about his experience was, if I go to the east, God is not there. If I go to the west, I do not see him. When he is at work in the north, I catch no sight of him. When he turns to the south, I cannot see him. So we are, this is way into Job, this is like Job 23, uh, verse 8 and 9. And as I said, I'm not a pastor, but what that says to me is that Job experienced what so many of us experience during times of hardship. What felt like the absence of God, right? Um, he's not sitting there in his sackcloth being holier than thou. You know, he's not sitting there in his ashes, blissfully sanguine, and, and saying, you know, oh, this is so great because I am living out my life's purpose. This is what I was created to do. You know, glory be to God who has, you know, visited or at least allowed these calamities to be visited upon me so that I may demonstrate to the devil that he is not the winner, that I may make sure for all mankind that, you know, we don't just love God because we're comfortable and he gives us stuff. We love God because we choose to follow the Lord. I mean, he is just not even almost saying anything close to that. He is actually complaining quite bitterly. And uh, so I thought that that was a very real response by Job when this 
happened to him. He's sitting there in his muck and his mire, and um, he's like, you know what, I can't find God anywhere in this situation. Not only that, but he complained bitterly to the God he couldn't feel about how rotten his life was. And at one point, he even went as far as to curse the day he was born. So I'm going to share with you some of the things that Job said, and you tell me if you can't relate to this. So after a while, Job opens his mouth to speak, and he called down a curse on the day he had been born. And he said, May the day I was born be wiped out. May the night be wiped away when people said, a boy is born. May that day turn into darkness. May God in heaven not care about it. This is raining in his world. May no light shine on it. May darkness and deep shadow take it back. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness cover up this light. May deep darkness take over the night I was born. May it not be included among the days of the year. May it never appear in any of the months. May no children ever be born on that night. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May people call down a curse on that day. May those who are ready to wake up the sea monster Leviathan curse that day. May its morning stars become dark. May it lose all hope of ever seeing daylight. May it not see the first light of the morning sun. It didn't keep my mother from letting me be born. It didn't keep my eyes from seeing trouble. Why didn't I die when I was born? Why? Didn't I die as I came out of my mother's body? Why was I placed on her knees? Why did her breast give me milk? If all of that hadn't happened, I would be lying down in peace. I'd be, I'd be asleep and at rest in the grave. And Okay, you get the idea. And that wasn't even the end of it. Job went on and on throughout this book. He complained. See, this is why I encourage every single one of you to read your life manual for yourself. And don't just do it out of a sense of duty like, oh, geez, i got to read this Bible, i got to read this Tanakh, i got to read this Quran, i got to read this Bhagavad Gita, whatever your life manual is. Read it as if you are reading an interesting novel because I promise you, you will find stuff in there that will make you go, what? And for real, there are stories I read that literally made me turn the book over just to make sure I was still reading the Bible because I was so shocked by what was in there. Um, and if you're, if, if you don't believe me, there is uh, a story uh, in the Bible about this fella who um, goes to this village and. Um, he throws his concubine out to the village men who come pounding on the door because they want to have sex with him. <laughs> then, when the man finds her dead at his door the next morning, 
guess what he does? He cuts up her body into 12 parts and sends them to each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And now I'm reading this, and I am just like, what in the world is this? But anyway, we digress. My point is, uh, read it for yourself. Like it's relevant to your life today. Because it really is. So anyway, back to Job. We digress. I'm hearing the complaints that flew from Job's heart, and I can totally relate. I have found myself in exactly that place more than once or twice in my life, where I wished I had never been born. I was angry with life, mad at God, and just felt like he surely can't care about me, because if he did, he would never let this happen. What did I do to deserve this? Well, okay, not always, but in many cases, I confess, I can draw a pretty straight line between what I did to deserve what I got and (laughs) the consequence as I'm sitting there feeling very much like Job and thinking to myself, (laughs) yes, Um, but yet, you know, here I was. Uh, God didn't pay any mind to me wanting to be dead, and I lay in bed and tried to, you know, stop breathing, and it didn't work, and I had to get up the next day, and I was still there, and God was still in heaven, and I was still feeling like he didn't care, but yet, you know, here we are. But, you know, it isn't always the case that you are the fault of the consequences that befall you, is it? In fact, things don't always get back to normal either after you've gone through a disaster, do they? If you lost a loved one, they're not coming back. So there is no happily ever after in that respect. You might go on and you will have to learn to live without that person, but, you know, there's no happily ever after. It's all going to be okay. And while there may be many stories of heroes who are able to take a tragedy and either turn their own lives around or make a difference in the lives of others, let's face it, Not everyone experiences that kind of catharsis. Not everyone wants to take on a new crusade in the wake of a devastating loss, right? And when you're in the middle of it, you're certainly not thinking, this is great, I am so glad I lost my beautiful daughter to a drunk driver because I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to found a group called Mad Mothers Against Drunk Driving and we will petition Congress to lower the legal drinking age in the United States. We will lobby for stricter penalties for drunk drivers. I mean, you know, no one thinks that in the wake of a devastating loss. Many of you recognize what I just described as what happened to Candy Leitner who founded Mothers Against Drunk Driving Mad after her daughter was killed by a hardcore repeat DWI offender who should have never been out on the streets. Now, I don't know her personally, but I'm pretty sure that what I just read described to you was not, I'm pretty sure that was not her first reaction or even her second or third when she lost her daughter, even though that is what she ended up doing. But here's the answer I can guarantee is always true 100%. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you can or cannot see, God is always there and he loves you. No matter
matter how awful things look or how bad they get, God will never leave you. I have read my life manual, though, cover to cover three times, and I have yet to find the passage where God promises us eternal comfort and convenience when we live life in relationship with him. Don't ever buy, you know, anybody who says to you, you know, follow Jesus or follow God and your life will be great and you'll be rich and you'll be always, you know, things will always go your way. That does That's not... I, it, that, I cannot find anything in the Bible that says that. And uh, I know many of people who have followed the Lord, and things have gone exactly opposite. In fact, I think it was Jesus himself who said, you know, follow me and you will be persecuted in my name. And I'm thinking, well, there's one kind of promise in it. Um, so God doesn't promise us comfort, but he does promise to be there. So what do you do if you feel like God is not blessing you with what you asked for? Um, I go back to my life manual, and it looks to me like there is repeat instruction all over the place with what to do. An example is Psalm 27, verse 14. Wait for the Lord's help. Be strong and brave and wait for the Lord's help. And you might be thinking, well, what if help doesn't come? What if you've prayed and prayed and your your loved one still died of cancer? What if you've prayed and prayed and you still lost your child in that horrible tornado? And the answer is, you love him anyway. He is still your best option, and he will see you through it. Um, Kelly Clarkson has has a song called, What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Stronger. And I think that's absolutely true. Even Job himself, in the midst of all his pain, he did recognize that there would be a light at the end of that tunnel. He said, but God knows the way that I take, and when he tested me, I will come out like gold. Notice now that Job, who, as I said earlier, had been a very wealthy man before God allowed Satan to take it all away from him, didn't say When I get out of this situation, I'm going to be even richer than I was before because surely God will reward me for having suffered thus. Job understood that his payback, his reward, wasn't a material one, but it would be in the spiritual and emotional strength he would gain. There are many places in the life manual that provide comfort and insist that we should love and trust God anyway even when you don't see a path to your healing or to the resolution of your problems. Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6, and I'm giving you these specific verses, and I didn't you know, give you the other references, because if you are someone who needs to actually go and look at some of this stuff, I want you to know where I got it. So Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 say, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. If that feels like it's too much of a stretch when all you see around you is disaster, wreckage, brokenness, and fear, then I will tell you, my brothers and sisters, that is exactly where faith comes in. Sometimes you have to trust in what you can't see and in what you may not even feel. I don't have to see the wind, 
but I sure can feel it, and I know it's there. Uh, I may not necessarily feel the sun because of cloud cover, but I know it comes up and sets every single day. So just because you don't see it, just because you don't feel it, doesn't mean it's not there. And so that's faith. If a tree falls in the middle of the forest and nobody hears it, does it make a sound? Yes, it makes a sound. Just because I didn't see it, just because I didn't hear it, doesn't mean there was no sound, right? Now, I'm not saying that trust will always lead to deep comfort. I'm not saying that you're going to say, you know, I trust you, God, and all of a sudden, you know, you're going to have this zen feeling and it's going to be like, oh, everything is okay now. Life doesn't work that way, right? But what I can tell you is you trust God and he will always be there for you. And he will carry you even when you don't necessarily realize that you are being carried because sometimes you do not know what you have been saved from. So all that to say, God will always be there. He will always love you. He will always see you through the hard times. And they would be infinitely harder without him. So I am praying for all of you who have been heavily impacted directly impacted, indirectly felt the impact of all of the natural disasters that we have seen this past month, in the past months before that, and in the past years. And I encourage all of us as human beings to come together and do whatever we can to help each other in our times of need. Go in peace and know that God loves you. Thank you for joining us on The Speedway Show. Visit thespeedwayshow.com for content and other episodes. Join the fan page at facebook.com slash thespeedwayshow. And follow Speedway on Twitter at the handle The Speedway Show. Until next week, live well, live fully, and love deeply.